0: It's not just a bottom line, how much dollars we're making, but a key metric of what makes this company actually matter is how many souls or lives we're impacting on this earth.
1: Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Mike Flynn. And if you're just joining us, the mission of my podcast is twofold, to guide you to an encounter with your own potential and greatness and to show you it is possible to leverage who you were made to be into a business or a platform that impacts the lives of others and to help you design the life you want. My guests are entrepreneurs and leaders who have had what I refer to as an impact moment and are using their platform to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. That sounds great, right? But none of that is possible unless you take action in your own life. If you've listened to my show for any length of time, you know that each guest is part of a series such as Leadership, Courage, The Comeback, Halftime, and for the next few weeks, Finding Your Purpose. Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? I feel called to do something, but I'm not sure exactly what my purpose is. How do I find it? These are common questions and statements many of the world's most successful entrepreneurs and leaders have asked throughout their lives. And incidentally, these are some of the same questions and statements you and I may be making or asking on a daily basis. And guess what? That is a good thing. Never stop asking questions. Always try to advance from your current reality to your desired reality. The very word question implies a desire to find the truth, to find the meaning, and to find purpose about your life. We spent the last few weeks talking about grabbing the opportunity bull by the horns and riding it into submission. But to what end? Why should we do that? What will that accomplish? Well, my hope is that the guests you will hear from these next few weeks will stoke your thinking inspire you to begin answering some of these questions for yourself, and show you that it is possible to be an entrepreneur driven by a strong purpose and mission while serving others and living the life that you want. Now, enough from me. It's time to hear about our incredible guests. Imagine this. You and your best friends turn 21. What do you do? Well, If you live a few hours away from Las Vegas, you jump in your car and head out for a weekend of celebration. And that is exactly what Cole Hatter and his two best friends did, except they never made it to Vegas. Instead, they were in a terrible car wreck where Cole and his friend Steve were ejected from the vehicle while his best friend Matt was not. Cole and Matt survived the wreck, but Steve passed away. That in and of itself is enough to change one's life forever. Well, 66 days later, Cole and Matt were out for a hike when they both fell into a mine shaft. Cole grabbed onto a bush, but Matt was unable to take hold of anything and did not survive the fall. Cole had lost his two closest friends in the world and was left grappling with the age old question why am I here? What is the meaning of life? And how can I make Steve and Matt's lives matter? Well, In today's episode, we cover all of that and more, so bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact with Cole Hatter. This is a powerful episode. Cole Hatter, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show, my friend. I am excited to to host you, to hear more about your story, to talk about Thrive, and to learn how you are using your platform to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. Mike, I'm stoked to be here, bro. Let's do this. Let's do it. So, you know, over the course of the last 70 plus episodes, I've I've refined kind of how I kick things off. I used to start with a superpower question. Now I kind of ask that at the end in a different way. But it's important to start where you started, and that is with your family. And I, I would love to learn a little bit more about what it was like to grow up in the Hatter household. Uh, what were your parents like? What was your community like? Was it Was it easy? Was it hard relative to what those definitions mean to you?
0: Yeah, so I am one of the fortunate few that my original birth parents are still married and madly in love, which is almost awkward at some times at 65 (laughs) and 68 years old. It's like, come on, we're in public. Um, But uh, yeah, so I grew up uh, in a very sad to say unique household in the sense that, uh, mom and dad raised me. They were amazing parents. I have no drama or, or trauma, I should say from my parents, uh, which is, which is nice. I have two older sisters grew up in orange County, California. I was born in Newport beach. And so, uh, you know, through my childhood, my mom was a social worker and worked for the city to give therapy to girls who are in the uh, in the system who are in group homes, and my father was a construction worker. So I don't know what hunger feels like. I was never homeless, but you know, we weren't driving around in BMWs or or Ferraris or anything like that. It was I had two very great, hardworking, middle-class parents and, you know, uh, again, dad construction worker, So we'd have beat up beat up Chevys and Fords with all of his tools. And, and then again, mom serving um, teenage girls who lived in group homes as their therapist doing group therapy and stuff. So she was on to a mission of change the world, but that was really it. I, uh, I grew up um, pretty involved in our church as well. And I think that that's kind of what helped my career course is that uh, I had the unique ability of being... You know, my parents dragging me along to day trips down to Mexico um, to to work with the Mexican communities down there with our church and stuff. And at a young age, was exposed to making impact and and living a life of purpose. Um, and obviously, I'm sure of the of the range of listeners you have that there may be part that have uh, you know based in faith or not is is irre- irrelevant. I was just able to serve people at a young age in in a really cool way, and I think that that was a big. Made a a big imprint on my life that has manifested in my adulthood life of of a lot of the work I'm now doing, and so that was really it as far as the family life. My parents are very good friends of mine. Obviously, we have the father son, mother son dynamic, but for context, I just had to go to Vegas for four days to do some business out there with my wife. And we have our two little daughters. And so we're like, okay, who do we want to take to Vegas with us to watch the kids while we're in meetings? So called my mom and dad, said, hey, it was like Wednesday evening. I said, can you guys be ready by 7 a.m. tomorrow to go to Vegas for four (laughs) days? And they were like down because they're retired now. Um, They're like down. So uh, with like, I think it was literally about a 12-hour notice. Their bags were packed. We took them to Vegas for four days with us. And you know, uh, for those that get to observe me in my business life, they, they do comment about, man, it's crazy that your parents are here and helping, like they're at thrive running around, like selling t-shirts and stuff. And so anyway, that was a long answer, but, uh, I just, I'm, I'm very blessed in, in my family dynamic. Um, you know, my family of origin is, is pretty healthy and, and, um, I I'm st- extremely blessed. You know, you said a lot there. And, and
1: one of the things you talked about was, was your faith. And it's obvious you know, you and I have never met in person and and this is our first time talking, but I've watched a you know a lot of your videos and you know follow you on social media and all that stuff and it's it's very apparent that your faith is deeply meaningful to you and I think that even if people don't have this the same faith that you and I have in God, they still need, in order to be an entrepreneur or in order to To do anything in life where you're going to have an exchange of value there needs to be an element of faith involved because you have to have faith that the other person is going to deliver and faith it just means an absence of an absence of doubt and you know and so i think that even though people might not have a religious faith or a faith in god or jesus or anything of that nature they need to have faith in other people, and, and I I talk about all that all the time with faith being one of the six bridges to personal growth and well being in terms of your ability and my ability to perform at a peak level in every area of life. And uh, so I I affirm you in that. That's awesome. Uh, you know, one of the things that one of the actually one of the very first videos I I ever saw uh, on social media that you that you put out there was when. You and your when you gave Super Bowl tickets to your dad, that was um, such a special video. What was that moment like for you?
0: Oh, it was cool. So I personally am not a professional sports fan. I just don't have the attention span. Right. I've got crazy ADD and uh, because it's. Several hour long commitment, regardless of the sport. I've just never ever ever been a sports fan, and so my dad, however, is a diehard football fan, and has made comments throughout my entire life of, "Oh, I'm going to go to the Super Bowl someday. I'm going to go to the Super Bowl someday." And what's interesting is, um, you know, because of the way that we've been blessed in business, he's been able to financially afford to go to the Super Bowl now for the last decade. Has never splurged on himself, and again, you know, he's got a long life ahead of him still. But at 68 years old, this has been a, a a desire of his for quite some time. And so just on a whim, I asked my wife, I was like, what do you think? And we looked it up and like the cheap seats were like 2,500 bucks, but you know, the, the reasonable tickets of where you'd want to be were like 15 grand each. And so we started adding it up and we're like, jeez, this is going to be like a four. Cause I bought his airfare too. It was, it was in Houston, Texas. We live in Southern California. So airfare, hotel, all of that. We're like, this is gonna be like a $40,000 trip. But my, you know, so then I started feeling guilty because of all the, all the, Things that I could be doing with that money, but my wife was like, "No, nah, dude, like this is your dad, do it." And so, that being said, uh, as you saw in the video, which video never quite captures the moment, but I mean, the guy like got teary-eyed, and it wasn't because he's materialistic and gets to take selfies at the Super Bowl. I think it was just the gesture of his little son. Is his? I'm I'm the youngest, right? I have two older sisters, so like his baby like doing this for him. And dude, it was rad. And, um, it meant a lot. And so we went out a day early and we stayed a day late and, uh, it was just a father-son trip, you know, set business aside for the weekend, hundred percent focused on dad. We got tickets to uh, a Joe Montana pre-party Joe Montana was a, my dad is a huge fan of his. So my dad got to meet Joe and just, it was really cool. It was a special, special weekend. And so, um, that's cool. I'm sure this will come up, but when it comes to money, I always say that money has, does not make you a better person. It just gives you options. That's it. And so, um, options to do good options to give tickets to your dad. Yeah, exactly. And so that's why I'm a fan of, of making as much as we can to do amazing things with. That's amazing. You know, and even though the video
1: doesn't capture the whole, the, 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 the reality of that gift and that, the memories that you guys created together, it was still really, you really did catch the, catch the essence of it in particular, uh, when, you know, you guys walked into the stadium and your dad was just like taking it all in, you know, and, and it was, it was really cool to be able to witness something like that from afar, having not ever met you or your father, but I could see. And and in in a sense, tangibly feel the love that you guys share together. So it was, it was an honor to witness that. And thank you for inviting everybody into that moment.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we, again, back to your original question, we have a great relationship. He was the best, uh, he was my best man at my wedding. Um, you know, we've oh, been wow. business partners now for 12 years. So my pops and I, again, we've got the father-son relationship where I was spanked as a child and all that stuff. But uh, in our adult lives have have become great friends, which uh, I hope to replicate with my daughters. I don't want to just be the dad, the authoritarian figure. I want to have a genuine friendship with them as well. And, you know, there's a lot to to be said about that. Totally absolutely, you know what about the community around
1: you? you, you had a really tight family, um, but what about the the extended community in in the OC where you grew up and uh, your, your church community? Did you feel like a deep connection and, and how how did that connection or lack thereof kind of influence you?
0: Yeah. So I think growing up, uh, so the house I was born in, I lived in until 13 and then moved out uh, to a different part of Orange County where I then went to junior high and high school. And so in those first 13 years, I lived in a cul-de-sac and every other household had a kid my age or kids my age. And so do my childhood was just about uh, friendship. And this was pre-cell phones, pre-Nintendo, pre-all that crap. So it was skateboarding every day, roller hockey out in the you know, cul-de-sac, building tree houses. And I just had that childhood dream, man. And so I had a deep sense of belonging and community with my friendships, my childhood friendships that, you know, I I could go four houses in any direction, knock on the doors and have eight of my best friends out there on skateboards with us. So that was cool. And then uh, again, at 13, uh, my parents moved. And obviously at 13, I wasn't on my own. So moved with them to uh, about (laughs) 20 minute drive away. So still close enough that I wasn't like completely uprooted yet. Had to make new friendships, go to new schools, et cetera. And then that was the teenage years where it wasn't about skateboarding and roller hockey. It was about girls and, you know, whatever teenage boys are into, getting my driver's license and stuff and then high school. So uh that changed a bit. But again, I've I'm very relational. And so uh, I I'm all about quality and quantity. I want to have a thousand best friends and uh That's still true to this day, Um, and so I mean, I I just again, outside of having great parents, also had great relationships. As far as the extended community of like getting plugged into Orange County communities and stuff, I think that's one thing that maybe Orange County lacks is, yeah, I guess in a good way. There's such a diversity of people; it's such a melting pot that it doesn't really have its own thing other than maybe saying "dude" and "bro" and stuff like that. (laughs) But like, so so there, there's there's so much different. Cultures that there really isn't an Orange County culture now. The perceived like for people who are far is it's plastic. Oh, everyone's got plastic surgery and all this and that. And it's like, yeah, no more than any really you know, affluent area like L.A. or New York would, right? But uh, you know, there wasn't there wasn't anything special other than our beaches that make OCOC. But but that said, man, yeah, it was. I I just I loved it. And then as far as uh, my church, like you said. As a child growing up, was super plugged in, and then went through my teenage years where I was like, "Yeah, you know, going to church on Sunday that'll work." If I didn't drink too much Saturday night at some high school party or whatever, right? I never did drugs, but definitely uh, would steal some parents' beers or something and go have the uh, Friday night high school party or Saturday night high school party with the football guys. And so, you know, through my probably high school, church was not as big of a deal. And then had some near death experiences where I was like, "Okay." Uh, time to get serious about the face again that happened in my 20s but
1: yeah yeah we'll 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 dive in dive into that in in a moment here too because that's that's really what what I refer to as the impact moment that launched you on the trajectory that you you are now on but what what lessons um and by the way I'm from Santa Cruz, California so so we say dude and bro also <laughs> yeah, as you should <laughs> but um what lessons from if you had to think back about the the experience of the community around you and the friends and and the and those you know the the desire to have a thousand best friends and not only to have the quantity but the, also the quality the deep meaningful relationships what lessons in when you reflect back on your childhood and growing up have helped shape the community that you are building right now with thrive and and all your other activities
0: yeah you know i've i've never really thought of it uh, from that, all right, but uh, that is one thing I hear a lot is in my communities like Thrive and, and our mastermind like Connect is one of the things people say is so unique about our event is the sense of community that it feels like people say like they're coming home to their families and that might be an extension of just growing up you know in that in that environment. So I think that um, it's it's funny I'm, I'm just thinking back to my childhood. I I don't know. I think that we're somewhat wired that way, right? That some of us are more distant. For instance, check this out. I have two older sisters. Uh, My oldest sister, much like me, my middle sister, uh, now more like me in the sense that she has a husband and two children of her own but she was kind of nomadic in the sense that uh, she she would have been fine moving to africa and just sending us a postcard at christmas i mean maybe that's an exaggeration but but still its so here she is raised by the same parents and my oldest sister and i you know want my mom and dad over 24 hours a day hanging out with with our children grandchildren and my middle sister was like peace so so I think some of it has to do with just the way that we're wired and that we're born that my middle sister has the same parents yet uh, was more, like I said, nomadic of a free spirit. And up, up until marrying, finding her husband and marrying him, I swear would have just moved around and traveled the world. She's a missionary. And, and so for her teens and 20s, she did literally travel the world and, and minister to people. And didn't need a physical address she's just wherever she was in the moment so so I think part of why community is so important to me is just the way that I'm wired it's just the way that I was born it's in my DNA and then again being put by my parents you know being careful to to raise me in a community uh, and teach me these values I think is important and so I think that I don't know that that's something that could be duplicated, but part of it is the way I was born. But then also maybe is is finding communities that I deeply resonate with that share values that I share and that want to go deep, I think is important because... We're we're tribal, right? When you when you look at hu- human beings in history, by by majority, we don't live alone. There are those that like to be up in the mountains and not see other humans, and I get that, right? But for the majority of human beings in human history, we're tribal and we've lived in community forever. And community is is a huge part of what runs through all of human history. And so I think that anyone who's listening to this that maybe lacks that, maybe didn't have the childhood growing up and that I did, which sadly is is I think the majority of the stories I hear is that they came at least in a split household where parents weren't married or whatever. Um, I think that it's not too late and that if you find community that shares your value system as far as your core beliefs of, of who you are and the difference you want to make in the world, and you plug into a community like that, kind of like what we're trying to create at Thrive, that uh, that's where you meet a complete stranger that's like, oh my gosh, we're kindred spirits or brothers from another mother. I've never met you before, yet I feel like I've known you my whole life. I think that those types of communities are possible for anyone, regardless of their childhood history it's just a matter of plugging into and finding those communities and and we could talk about how to do that as well but um I think that uh although maybe some people tolerate not having a thousand best friends or whatever you want to call it or even a handful of them uh, that that can be found if you're shopping in the right place so to speak so let's talk about that a
1: little bit like like how what if someone were say to say to you cole you know I, I really have this Desire for community, but I don't know how to plug in or find a community that fits my values and what I'm trying to do in the world. How, how would you advise them to approach developing or, or finding a community?
0: Yeah, so we all have habits, hobbies, uh, passions, careers. And so finding people that share those things. Okay. So like who we are, my name's Cole. I'm a husband, I'm a father, et cetera. But like, what am I? Well, I'm a water sport enthusiast. I love surfing. Um, I love wakeboarding behind my boat. Uh, I'm also an entrepreneur. So those are three unique things. So if I wanted to get around people who share those value systems, let's talk about how I'm an entrepreneur. I would go to these different networking events and entrepreneurial communities. Uh, Let's say someone listened to this as an artist and Maybe you play the piano or an actual physical artist where you're putting paint on canvas. There are great artist communities where you might not be in a relationship and someone else might have 16 children, yet sharing your mutual respect and love for art is now a connecting point where a great friendship can be made. So I think that if anybody wants to find community, you got to take a quick survey of who you are. Not like, okay, I'm a male, I'm six foot, 180 pounds. That's not what I'm talking about. Like, What makes you you? What are your habits, your hobbies, your passions? What do you enjoy? And then like literally, even if you, if it, even if it's gardening or something like really, well, I guess that's not that unique. A lot of people garden, but I'm trying to think of something really unique. I guarantee you there's a community of other people that share that passion that get together to be in fellowship with other people that value that thing as well. So, well, you only have to go so far as to look at Pokemon Go, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so there's different websites like meetup.com and, and different things that will show you these, these different locations, dates and times uh, for people that share that interest. But that's it, man. It's uh, you got to find connecting points. And so if you would say, okay, you know, yeah, for me, I'm a husband, father, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm an investor, but then also, you know, a a bit of a musician myself, I play a bunch of instruments. And so if I wanted to make these deep, if I moved to where somewhere I have no community, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, tomorrow and knew nobody but wanted to make friends with people that I knew I'd relate to and enjoy my time with, I'd start finding where people like me go, right? So uh, from the music standpoint, I'd look for the local music scene, not like the huge arenas where... Justin Bieber's gonna come sing, but like the local uh theater or something where the local musicians all get together, hang out, et cetera, to find people to jam on my guitar with, right? And then uh a water sport enthusiast, I'd figure out where the lakes are and where the hotspot is for wakeboarding and go find those communities as well. And all of a sudden now I've got 30 new friends I didn't know a year ago. Mm -hmm. But because we have those similar interests and passions and i knew how to find those communities of people i now you know might pray to a different god have different color skin they may be gay i might be straight but who cares about that because we are in fellowship because we share the love of music or we share the love of wakeboarding or whatever and unless you're you know a a bigot or a total a-hole that should be all. all that matters is your your shared love for whatever that thing is connecting you and nothing else really matters right
1: Totally, you know, I love that, and it's so—it's such simple advice. And the unfortunate thing is that a lot of people try to overcomplicate thing or things, or they or they they just are burdened by limiting beliefs that they can't do it, or they they are not willing to do it, and they want somebody else to do it for them, which is another curse that our society is faced with today. But one of the things that you guys that you talked about a, a, a few times now is the way that we're wired. And another word for the way that we're wired is intuition. And a few episodes back, I had Marie Forleo on, and you know she, she claims that the majority of her success has come from following her gut or her intuition. And you have a, a strong sense of that as well, from what I gather. And so how have you developed that over the years?
0: Yeah. So, you know, you, I call it a little voice. Um, I read this book called Little Voice Mastery, but uh, yeah, we all have that, that, that guiding lyric, you know, you can call it God too. Uh, but my intuition has served me well. There's a couple of times it's burned to me too, but uh, I think I'm more positive than negative. So we'll call it a win. <laughs> but um, I mean, you know, I think it's just back to the word you said of faith. Okay. So we have intuition, but intuition without action is is nothing. Intuition with action, uh, I think, takes a degree of faith as well. So I uh, I think that uh, I am a bit, I, I guess, intuitive of what I want to create in my life. I think as a result of, again, a couple of accidents that I have a strong sense of how important time is, uh, that I have no time to waste. And so when I'm feeling pushed or drawn towards something to sit on the fence and think about it just isn't something I have time or tolerance to do. So then it's the faith of okay. I mean like thrive for instance, right? And you know, we'll talk about that I'm sure, but that's a it's a big undertaking. I had to put up 500,000 dollars of my own money up on an event that I didn't know anyone would come to. I just felt like based on my life experiences and the message that I wanted to share with the world that somehow it would work out that that if I through faith and, and my intuition that this would be a good idea through this event, that somehow the speakers would come and then the, the attendees would come and that the end result of three days would be that lives were changed and and it was something worth trying again. And so uh, I think intuition's important. I think it's important that we listen to it. I think that uh, maybe it's kind of like a muscle and if you ignore it for too long, it gets weaker uh, because I think we all have intuition. I think everybody does. Uh, I think some of us listen to it better than others do. And that might be that maybe for some, I'm just guessing, their intuition's almost dormant because they've had that intuitive push in their life that they've said no to, whether it's fear or lack of faith or whatever, uh, that it's almost like it's they don't hear it anymore. Um, so I think that that's important to, to listen to intuition. And then I think it's important too that I said, you know, my intuition is serving well most of the times. There's a couple of times, stories that we won't tell on this podcast where I <laughs> felt that I was making the right decision that ended up uh, either expensive or emotionally taxing. But I wouldn't take any of that back either. You know, there were some relationships I was in that ended poorly and- in the moment, wished to God it had never happened. However, now that I'm happily married to an amazing woman and we've got beautiful old children, those even bad experiences helped made me clear on what it is I wanted in a woman uh, and what I would no longer tolerate and where I was compromising where I shouldn't have. And so, although my intuition said, hey, you should get in a relationship with this person and it ended miserably, I at least now in hindsight can say that that was what helped craft. I don't know, I'm trying, I'm making finding my wife sounded like it's a shopping list. So I, I, for <laughs> anyone who's being offended, I apologize. That's not what I'm trying to say. But of what I wanted in a woman what I didn't, right? And so mm-hmm. it's not like I'm just picking my wife like, oh, lucky for you, you cut the bill. Come on, let's get married. I mean, I was madly in love with my wife. But So the point is, I think we follow our intuition. And you know that sometimes it's not going to work out. But then we also have to um, have the maturity of saying, hey, you know what? I could still use this for good. I could be a victim or I can use this for better uh, and learn from this. Warren Buffett says he learned From everyone, what to do or not to do, but he's still learning. And so I would say for anyone who struggles to listen to their intuition, maybe because of fear of it's not going to work out or whatever, right? I would say go for it. And if it doesn't work out somehow, some way in the next chapter of your life, the previous chapter will have mattered um, as far as crafting your story and the narrative of your life. Um, And then for the times that you trust your intuition and it hits and things work out like you were hoping they would, then, you know. Awesome, keep it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean,
1: definitely, pe- we all make mistakes, and it's about whether we get back up. I always say that the uh, the the road, the journey of an entrepreneur or even life is like a drunk walking uphill. You
0: know, I, I like that.
1: This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more, based in Oklahoma. They work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the Impact Entrepreneur told you to call. I heard this saying recently by this this uh, Catholic bishop named Robert Barron, and he said, "You've got to acknowledge the weeds so that you can admire the flowers." That's good. I thought it was such a, I mean, a very succinct way to say that. Yeah, you know, we're all going to have hardship. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to have setbacks, but we need those things so that we can appreciate and and celebrate the victories and the wins and the impact and and so and you've definitely have have had some weeds that you've had to overcome and, and 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 not many people have had to encounter and face and surmount the the challenges that you you've had and you've you've alluded to them a couple of different times so why don't you take us back to your 21st birthday
0: yeah so um I had turned 21 a couple of months earlier and my two best friends as well. The three of us turned 21 within four months of each other. And so we said, hey, we're all 21. Let's go out to Vegas. So we're in uh, my buddy Steve's driving and the three of us are on our way out to Vegas. And we got into a rollover car accident where Steve and I were both ejected and had to be rushed to the hospital in a helicopter. Matt was not ejected. So he was rushed to the hospital in an ambulance. Um, But uh, yeah, so that was... We're in the middle of the desert, 37 miles past Barstow, for any of you who have made that drive from Southern California. And um, again, they had to, because we weren't near a hospital and my injuries and Steve's injuries were significant enough, they landed a helicopter right there on the freeway and, and took us off. And taking a very long story, making it short, you know, Matt and I survived that accident, Steve did not. And so I had all the what you would expect grief following losing a best friend who was like a brother to me. He and I grew up together. Um, And then the guilt of, okay, Matt, you and I survived and Steve didn't. And, and trying to figure out like what that means that we're here, he's not, and how to process that. So that was, that was eye opener. Number one, like of why time is precious. And then um, 67 days later, Matt and I were riding dirt bikes and fell into a mine shaft where uh, I survived and he didn't. So the same two guys, two months apart, in two accidents that I was in, I survived, and neither of them did. And so, uh, you know, I was I was super screwed up from the car accident with Steve. I had to move back into my parents' house for a while because I was uh, temporarily in a wheelchair. I had to learn how to walk again. Uh, you know, I had a traumatic brain injury, so I had to let that heal. My memory was real screwed up. I would ask the same question 16 times in a row uh, for a while, not just immediately after the accident, but for like months afterwards, you know, my mom would walk into the house. I'd be sitting on her couch and I'd be like, Hey, where were you? She'd be like, Oh, it's at the store. And then I'll look up and be like, Oh, Hey mom, where were you? She's like, uh, I was at the store. And like eight seconds later, Oh, Hey mom, where were you? So like I was messed up for a while. Uh, But so those, those back-to-back accidents were instances in my life that, um, It changed everything, and uh, I would, you know, I wish I didn't have to go through those. Of course, I wish that Steve and Matt were still with me, uh, and I would wish those experiences on nobody. But back to what I was saying a moment ago, uh, I can't take those back. They happened, and so for a while, I I felt like a victim of just bad life circumstances, and you know, woe is me. Why does this have to happen to me? La la la. Uh, But but decided that that didn't honor Steve or Matt at all and that if i just walked around feeling sorry for myself and acting like an idiot that that they lived almost for nothing because for some reason i i survived both accidents and for me to waste the rest of my life feeling sorry i should have been dead and so i said i can't tolerate that so now i've got to do things in my life big enough to honor all three of us so that you know when my time comes to to go on to meet my creator and see them again i can point back and say okay you know, I had time, you guys didn't, but I made that that time count and I made my life matter. And so that was a big turning point for me in my life. Previous previous that, I was a firefighter. Uh, so I was already in the business of wanting to help people. Uh, and then after those accidents, turned to entrepreneurship and, and through my businesses now I get to help people. But, um, yeah, so so that would be the the moment where everything shifted for me.
1: So it wasn't like uh you woke up one morning though and, and suddenly Thrive was born. It was like a seed that you needed to nurture and that you needed to experience its own exposure to all of the elements. So how did you nurture that once that seed was planted and, and what did the unfolding of and an awakening of that uh look like for
0: you? Yeah, so I uh, I wanted to start a nonprofit to honor Stephen Matt, and then I realized that nonprofits are very non-profitable, and so I said I, I remember it distinctly, thinking to myself, "Okay." I have this nonprofit now, and I'm going to have to spend the rest of my life raising money, finding people who care about me or my cause enough that they would just hand me cash with no exchange of value on my end other than I'm serving a cause they believe in. And you know, for a lot of nonprofits, that works. But to me, it seemed harder to do that than to just sell them something, right? Like, okay, hey, give me money because I'm going to help people Okay, here you go. Cole versus, hey, here's a pair of shoes. Do you want to buy them or something like that? Right. So I decided, hey, I'm going to start businesses and then I'm going to take the money I make from those businesses to fund my cause. I'm going to do it differently. Instead of raising money for my cause the rest of my life, I'm going to sell people's stuff. I'm going to start companies and sell product, goods, and services. That's what entrepreneurs do. We we make life easier, we solve problems and we get paid for it. And then I'm going to take that money and impact the world. And so I did that and did very well initially. I started off as a real estate investor. And when I became an entrepreneur in 2005, the economy was booming and real estate was booming. So I made a ton of money very quickly. And then uh, 2008, we had a recession, real estate collapsed, and I lost everything even quicker than I'd made it. And ended up living in Mexico for seven months as just part of my journey um, of still processing, losing Stephen Matt and having, I guess, processed enough that I was living life again. I wasn't completely grief-stricken in a fetal position like I was after the accidents, but still sweeping enough of it under the rug that I still had these underlying issues. Uh, for instance, the way that some of those issues manifested was like getting close to people. I was dating an amazing girl at the time. And as things progressed uh, in our relationship, we ended up ending that relationship because deep down inside, I was convinced that anybody I would ever love would die. Right. So, so after Steve and Matt did the therapy to become functional again, but still swept some of those challenges under the rug, so that now I've got this amazing, like I said, just this amazing girl I'm dating, and everything's good. And two years into that dating relationship, it ended because she was ready to take it to the next level, and I was like, I can't, because somewhere deep in my heart, I, w- I assumed that if I loved her and had children with her someday, that all of them would die too, right? So, so I end up in Mexico to just process all this stuff. And by the way, spoiler alert: I end up marrying that girl. Thank you very much. So she dumped me. I sorted myself out, came back and married her. And Now we have beautiful children together. But um, hey, while I was living in Mexico, sorting this all out, I ended up starting an orphanage. And uh, I saw how these little hungry girls that, that I was taking care of, they're primarily girls, like 13 girls, two dudes, dudes—how how my little bit of money I had left that I was living off of down in Mexico could feed these children for an entire month. And I became obsessed with that feeling of using my hard-earned money to feed hungry children. And I said, man, I made a lot of money in business and then I lost it all. And you know, I've got what little few, couple 10,000 bucks left that I'm living off of down in Mexico that's changing the world. What if I went back to business, made more money than I ever have before and then made it matter by funding causes that I believe in? So I did that. And at the seven months of living in Mexico, moved back to America, you know, went off to make millions of dollars of starting these four-purpose businesses and doing what I call making money matter. And it took off like fire. And a bunch of people were asking me to come on podcasts and talk about it. Had some Forbes and entrepreneur.com articles written and it was clear that there's an audience of entrepreneurs that are thirsty for not just making money, but making a difference and asking me to teach them, Cole, how did you start businesses that don't just make money, they make a difference? And so I said, man, I'm getting asked this question so often. What if, back to intuition, what if I did a live event where I brought together a bunch of entrepreneurs to teach our attendees who would also be entrepreneurs how to run businesses in the world today that make money and then how to start a 4 Purpose business to make their money matter, and that was the birth of Thrive. So, like you said, it was a seed planted in my mind that I had this chip on my shoulder at 21 years old that I need to make the world a better place for Stephen Matt, and I can't just tithe at church and you know live a live a honorable life. I've got to change the world for those guys. So that was the seed that then manifested over a decade of life experiences, living in Mexico and and feeding children, all of that that came back and said, you know what. I'm now running businesses that directly change the world. There are a lot of people out there that want to run businesses that do the same. So let's start this event. Let's call it Thrive and let's fill the room with entrepreneurs that want to make money and make their money matter. And that was it, man. There was, there wasn't like a magic aha moment. I didn't like eat a fortune cookie and it said start thrive or like <laughs> read my horoscope. But it was a decade of following intuition back to 15 minutes ago and of taking my life experiences both positive and negative and then taking some time alone like those 7 months in Mexico although i was serving the homeless and, and starting an orphanage that was really like self reflection of i've had a crazy journey what does it all mean like what am i supposed to do with all this stuff in my 20s i've lived 10 lifetimes why and and, and how am i going to use that in a good way and again after 7 months of figuring myself out went back to America asked the girl that dumped me to marry me she said yes started companies and and now together we get to to impact the world
1: i want to talk about your marriage and your relationship with Sanja right that's how you pronounce her name
0: uh the j's like a y Sanja. So, but it looks okay. like sanja yeah
1: yeah yeah sonya so i want to, in a minute i want to talk cuz it's a it's you guys have a very special thing going and and i i'm been married for almost 13 years my wife and i have known each other since we were 9 now, that's another story but wow
0: that's rad <laughs>
1: it wasn't love at first sight <laughs> but you know when you came back from from mexico oh first of all i had a thought i love the word reflection the word reflection literally means to bend back time and and direct light or heat onto something and so i i, I love that you used that word as it related to your time in mexico not enough people reflect on their experiences and and see what what the lessons are there for us to utilize and to grab hold of and to use to have a game changing impact in the lives of others. So the fact that you did that and you did it unknowingly is is amazing and and more and more people should take time to to bend back that time and to direct the light and heat onto the challenges and the successes that they've had in their life, because past performance is not a guarantee of future results. It's just a matter of what you do with it. Totally. Totally. So you came back from Mexico. What, what businesses, what kind of businesses did you start?
0: So I went back to my real estate business uh, and restarted that. Uh, I had taken about a 10-month hiatus. So just for context, 2008, I lost everything, but I was dumb and tried to stick it out. And so it was slowly hemorrhaging what I had over those next two years where uh, I was making about 80 to 90% of my monthly overhead. So I'd work almost 30 straight days in the month and have less than I started with. But you know it was better than just not making any money at all. But still, it was, uh, eventually you gotta, as as Mister Wonderful says, take it behind the barn and shoot it. So uh, <laughs> stayed stayed doing real estate until February of 2010, uh, and that was a result of coming back from Haiti in January of 2010. We had that crazy earthquake in Haiti, and I'm on a nonprofit where I'm an emergency responder, and I was sent over to Haiti uh, to help with the just the catastrophe of that earthquake and. Seeing what I had to see every day and doing what I did, I came home to America and struggling to make a Cadillac Escalade payment and a wakeboard boat payment and working seven days a week to just pay for stuff that I didn't need to impress people I didn't care about was no longer a priority. So that's when I started dumping everything, sold the car, sold the boat, sold everything. And uh, that was in February of 2010 that I quit my business. And then June 1st of 2010, moved to Mexico. So I went through like this four-month season of unloading all my responsibilities and all of my stuff and ended up putting what little bit I had left in a storage unit and saying, peace out and going to Mexico. <laughs> and so I uh, came back from Mexico and and restarted that business that I had Pushed pause on, uh, got some coaching, which uh, I think is important to mention. That I didn't just restart it; I actually learned instead of winging it because it was really easy to make money from two thousand five, two thousand eight real estate. But to make money in a down market, I, I invested in some coaching and, and learned how to make money regardless of what real estate or the economy are doing. I'm a huge fan of of paying experts to give you expert advice. So I did that, and so then my real estate business was working, and then have started several others. Uh, in complementary or completely different industries. Uh, we started some funds where we we have a bank essentially that lends on real estate. So again, a great compliment to what we were already doing. Um, and then some businesses that have absolutely nothing to do with it at all. I have a marketing company. I'm an investor in a merchant processing company. So like when you go to a go to lunch and your just actually, like, what do you use a terminal? You're at Nordstrom's, so you're buying a pair of shoes and you swipe your card and it's thinking for 30 seconds. Uh, I am an investor in a business and, and an advisor in a company that that does that actual merchant processing. We have a sticker company. I mean, it's kind of all over the map, uh, but collectively. Oh, and then of course, Thrive. We, we talked about that earlier. I have Thrive, which is the thing that takes more time, energy, and money than anything else I run. Uh, but <laughs> Which is in the live event space. So, from real estate to live events to merchant processing to online marketing, all over the place, it's exciting. And so, so, I've probably, and I, I love showing this, I've probably started 30 businesses, like 25 or 26 of them have failed, but the four or five that are working have more than covered the losses and I'm way up. So I think that- That's awesome. That's important that people don't hear in my story. I just came home from Mexico, had the Midas touch, everything I touched turned to gold. I came back from Mexico and grinded and failed way more than I succeeded, just for context. I want to make sure that that's clear in the story, that-, mm-hmm. that I didn't just come skipping home through Mexico, making millions of dollars. I freaking fought tooth and nail, failed way more than I succeeded. But because I was willing to fail, uh, my successes 100x paid me back what I failed or what my, what my losses were.
1: So you get to the point now where you're like, okay, I've got to do this. I know what I need to do. It's not just these businesses that I can do for purpose and, and give back. I need to start this event. I need to do this event. I need to teach others because that's going to hundred X what I'm capable of doing. So how did you go about that? What was the first event? Like, what did you learn along? Like, what was the most surprising, shocking thing that you learned after you decided to start thrive?
0: So I'm going to, answer it backwards uh, with your last question. The the most surprising thing was the feedback. Uh, we had the best speaker lineup of any event there is, period, I don't care what anyone says. I mean, there's countless articles. We had like Forbes, Huffington Post, Entrepreneur, all these different things say, there has never been an event like this before. So I thought people were gonna say, that was the best content I've ever seen in my life. Never once, like, normally you have one or two big keynoters and then a lot of people who you've never heard from before. I mean, at our first event, we had Gary Vaynerchuk, we had Robert Hershevik. We had Keith Ferrazzi, we had Lewis Howes, my good friend. We had all these just gangster speakers. And I was convinced that when people were done, the feedback would be best content ever. But what was surprising to your question is that people's number one thing that they liked the most about Thrive was the community. They said, I've never gone to an event before filled with people who are heart-centered entrepreneur, where on the breaks, we're not talking about our Ferraris. We're talking about what we want to do in our business to make the world a better place. And I've never ever ever been anywhere where it's a community of such like-minded entrepreneurs or individuals for that matter that are all absolutely bent and committed to making the world a better place. So that was cool. Back to your question earlier of community. I was taking... and then the same thing happened for Thrive 2 just for context. Going into Thrive 2 I was like let's see what happens. And like we ask we we pass out surveys and we ask people at the end of the event, you know, like 25 different questions to to want to, you know, our our KPIs, our key performance indicators of of what was working and where we spent money that mattered and where we were just wasting money and and what people's feedback was. Second year in a row, people said, "Yeah, the speakers were great." And just for context, last year at Thrive Two, we had Grant Cardone, we had uh, Jack Canfield, author of Chicken Soup for the Soul, John Assaraf, my mentor, Tham Merrill, just absolute crazy rock star lineup. Again, same thing. People are like, "Yeah, yeah, speakers are good," but. Dang, man, that community. I didn't meet a single person I didn't instantly have rapport with and want to become. Which actually, I just met someone this weekend who's getting married. He met his wife or his girlfriend, I guess, at Thrive One, who's now wow. his fiance, and they're getting married. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, baby. Uh, I literally just met that guy on Saturday. I went to a different uh, mutual friends event while I was in Vegas. And somebody came up to me, like, you're Cole Hatter. I went to your Thrive event. And now I'm getting married. And I was like, that's right, baby. So, so literally, if you're single and want to find the love of your life, No, I'm just kidding. Uh, But uh, so that was what was surprising is that the community mattered more than anything else. That's awesome. Were you
1: you at Amplify? Is that where you were? Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, So so I went to Vegas to do a site tour this weekend of uh, where Thrive is going to be this year at the Hard Rock in Vegas. Um, And I had a couple of business meetings on Friday and we decided to stay through Sunday just to enjoy ourselves. And so, yeah, Amplify was going on and we went over there on Saturday and obviously Keith who runs Amplify, he and I have very similar circles. So... There was probably 200 people at his event that had gone to Thrive as well. So I showed up and it's like, oh, cool, 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 cool. But one of the guys has said, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm marrying someone who I met at Thrive, so that's cool. You you
1: decide to do this this massive event, and then what what was the first step you took to get
0: it done? So I called in favors. I think that that's a big area that I've had to grow. I suck at asking for help. Suck at asking anyone for anything. I want to give 99% and take 1% of every relationship I'm in. And, uh, I, I got over myself and started asking. So at that point in my career, this is now March, March of 2015 was when I decided to do thrive and it took place in uh, October, 2015. So about six months to do thrive one. And I reached out to every friend I had. Uh, and I, so like Lewis Howes and I, uh, have been friends since 2010. I even paid him for coaching in 2011. So we had a great relationship. I asked him to speak He said yes. And then I asked him for introductions uh, to Adam Braun and to Gary Vaynerchuk. He said yes. Uh, I then was on the phone with Gary Vaynerchuk, painted the picture of what I want to do with Thrive. Hey, dude, it's not like any other event you've spoken at. This is an event to change the world. He said yes. And then Adam Braun said yes. So now I've got those three guys. I went sideways to some of my mutual friends again, and I got Jordan Harbinger, who has the art of charm to say yes. And then my other friend, John Lee Dumas, to say yes. So I got this group of like six rock stars. And then from there, I just went sideways. And up, I call it. So once we had about eleven different speakers. So sideways to like Keith Ferrazzi, I'd never known Keith Ferrazzi before. He's a two times New York Times bestselling author. Never, never eat alone, right? Yep, never eat alone is one of his books. Um, and so great guy. And so I had never heard of him before, but. So it was like one person once removed. And so then we had about 15 speakers. Then I went to Robert Hershevek from Shark Tank's website and just cold, you know, there's like a tab that said, book me to speak. You have to go through this huge auditing process. Cause Unfortunately, when you're at his level, you don't even make your own decisions anymore. Like You have a team. It's like, okay, what is this event about? And how is it going to reflect on on Robert's brand? Like, Is he going to go to something that would look bad in a newspaper or whatever? And so we had to go through this rigorous auditing process, especially because it was our first event. But because we had names like Gary Vaynerchuk and everyone else, he said yes. And then now that we had Robert Herjavec, we started getting inquiries. People were like, I want to speak. I want to speak. I want to speak. I want to speak. And we ended up having 22 speakers at Thrive One. And so... Again, it started with me going to Lewis Howes, John Lee Dumas, um, Jordan Harbinger, and Nick Unsworth. Those four guys asking them all to speak and then asking them for a warm introduction to the largest fish they knew, getting it to like eight or 10 people, and then it just started momentum. Um, And so... The only thing that might not be duplicatable for someone listening to this is like, well, lucky for you, I didn't. I don't know Lewis Howes. I didn't know them. Okay, but I only knew them because I'd been grinding. I paid Lewis Howes to teach me about building a personal brand. I paid John Lee Dumas to teach me how to do a podcast because I had a podcast in 2014. And so I met these people cold as well. And I just got their attention um, by learning from them and then building a, a friendship with them. So nothing that I did can't be duplicated. But again, it wasn't something I didn't. A matter of days. This was probably a four-year journey. Like I met Lewis, like I said in 2010, coached with him in 2011, in 2015, I asked him to speak at Thrive. So, part of how I was able to pull it off were just the years of investing in relationships that I had done before I decided to do an event. Yeah, people only see
1: the the final moment; they don't see the the years or decades of labor and and effort and and hustle behind the 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 screen, so to speak, and. And you know you did. You made a habit of doing the things that unsuccessful people won't do, and that is what separates successful people from unsuccessful people. Everything that's worthwhile takes effort, and nothing comes easy. And I think that that is a fallacy that we that's being proliferated in the entrepreneurial world today. Is that, and and there are a handful of quote unquote unicorns that you know. One year they, they're at zero and the next year they're at a billion dollars or whatever, you know, but for the vast majority, it's not that way. And I think that people should not plan or even really hope on that because they're, they're not setting themselves up to have the impact or the success because they're not going to be able to enjoy the process or even celebrate the victories and wins along the way, because what's going to happen is they're going to fall into the comparison trap. And we know from Teddy Roosevelt that comparison is the thief of joy.
0: Well, one thing I want to say about that, just to like solidify and reiterate what you've just said is, you know, some people go from zero to a billion, but even them, like, so let's talk Zuckerberg. He's probably the greatest example of that who accidentally invented Facebook in his dorm drunk one night. Right. But like, (laughs) Zuckerberg was at Harvard, and if you hear his whole story, like the guy gave up the majority of his youth to master his craft of like coding and and computer coding and whatever. I'm not a software guy, but all that crap, and worked his butt off. Like you don't get into Harvard accidentally, and so although maybe Facebook was an accident, it's because he had worked the last 15 years to get the skill sets and to be in the environment like Harvard where he was getting access to the the professors, etc., that were teaching him this advanced level type coding that he was able to build Facebook in his dorm, if that makes sense. And so it's like his first business attempt was a unicorn. The first thing he did entrepreneurially turned into Facebook, but there was still over a decade of him sitting in a college dorm or whatever, a high school room, learning this crap that eventually was the skill sets he needed and to get into the school because the idea he got, if you've watched the movie, was from fellow peers at Harvard. So you got to give him some credit that if he had never even gone to Harvard, he might not have been gotten the idea to do Facebook, and getting into Harvard is no easy task. So you said nothing worth having comes easy. Even the unicorns like Zuckerberg with Facebook, he had over a decade of doing what others won't do, of studying and taking tests to get into Harvard, where he got the idea. And the co-founders of Facebook who were also Harvard students, and all of the effort and Time it took him to learn how to do the different coding. And I mean, I'm, I'm way out of my league. I don't do freaking <laughs> it, but you get it. So it's like, so yeah, Facebook's a unicorn, but Mark Zuckerberg worked his ass off to be in the exact right place at the exact right time to capitalize on make what was Facebook. So I have still yet to see anyone in the world that got anywhere, whether their first business try was a, a phenomenal success, awesome. But what had they been up to years previous to be in the right place at the right time? And it's almost always endless sacrifice and effort. Absolutely, absolutely. And and I you know I have a few more questions but I want to make sure that people know when Thrive is happening this year and where they can go to get um tickets. Attendthrive.com is where you can get tickets and you can uh, it's a, what is it? September 29th through October 1st in Las Vegas, Nevada at the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino. We rented out the entire ballroom. It's going to be rad. A uh, thousand attendees. And uh, yeah, so attendthrive.com is where they can go. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now I want to talk about the most important relationship in
1: in your life. And you've mentioned her a couple times. And I had no idea that she was the girl that you broke up with when you were in Mexico, but it that makes makes it even more awesome. Um, so Sonia, so you guys have an incredible relationship. You guys seem to have just such a supportive uh you know, above average level of support of, of of each other's dreams and visions. How do you... There are a lot of people that listen to my podcast that are married and that either one or both spouses are entrepreneurs. How do you guys nurture that?
0: Yeah, so... I mean, man, that was a work in progress. Uh, but yeah, let me clarify. We didn't break up with each other. She dumped me. Oh, she did. <laughs> <laughs> on Cinco de Mayo, by the way. How screwed oh, up is man. that? I always say it's very un-American to dump me on a Mexican holiday. But We have, we have another thing in common because my, my
1: wife and I were dating, and she dumped me while we were chaperoning 20 kids on a trip in Canada. So Nice.
0: <laughs> yeah, so freaking Sonia dumped me in May, and then I asked her to marry me the next March 10 months later, and she said yes. But that being said, to your question, ma'am. Okay, so I think it's just our commitment to each other's vision, regardless of what that is, uh, and just our undying support for one another. And so uh, here's why we are together entrepreneurs. Uh, Sonny was a stay-at-home mom. Uh, She has two degrees and is super smart and could have a phenomenal career. But because of the way that God has blessed my business, I'm financially capable of supporting our family with the lifestyle we want to have. And so we decided mutually that she would at least postpone her career goals for a while to be a dedicated stay-at-home mom, which gets very little respect in the real world and I can't even tell you how many of her girlfriends tell her she has it easy. And it's like, dude, there were days where she wished she could leave the kids and go to a job, right? So, yeah. so bottom line is that was her role. And then as I became busier and busier, I read this uh, book called, uh, I think it's called Essentialism. And I literally stopped doing email and responding to text messages and any interaction on Facebook. I still do Facebook, but if you tag me or message me, I just don't respond. I just don't care. And you know what's really weird? I didn't die. The world kept spinning. Like everything went along just fine uh, because I was just so overwhelmed. And so. People stopped trying to get a hold of me and went to my wife and said, Cole won't answer his text. Will you please ask him this? And so it started with her literally asking me, like, what time are you going to be showering? And I would be in the shower and she'd sit down next to the shower with her laptop on her like, Whitney needs to know what color linens do you want, white or black? I'd be like, ah, black, got it. Okay. Chris wants to know which lens you want in the camera, the 16 millimeter or the 20. I'm like, ah, 16. So like, it was just boom, 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 boom. And then eventually, she and I both got so busy that she didn't have time for me to respond anymore. And by the way, this is all going to make sense in a second. She didn't have time for me to respond anymore. So she started just making those decisions herself. Like, I'm not even going to bother Cole with this. I'm just going to pick black linens. And that has progressed over probably the last or or the next, I should say, probably year to where she then just filled the role of being what you would call maybe my right-hand woman and an executive assistant to where she filtered 99% of the noise and just handled it and only brought me the absolute critical things. And all of a sudden our businesses grew and life got better to the point where she then exceeded being my personal, I guess you'd call her an executive assistant, although there was never that title, to where she is now as it relates to Thrive, knows more about what's going on and has made more decisions than I even do anymore. I always say that she's now the CEO of Thrive because I'm always asking her, hey, what's this? What's this? And now it's completely reversed to where now Sonia... I mean, we went to our site tour, literally three days ago, we were in Vegas at the site tour and everyone's come up. It's almost always been, they come up to me, hey, Cole, hey, Cole, and I'm like, oh, by the way, this is my wife, Sonia. It's completely flipped where everyone's like, hey, Sonia, Sonia, and they're like, oh, yeah, this is Cole. This is just Cole over there, right? <laughs> and and so it's it was never clearly defined. It's back, I guess, talking about intuition, if you will, and just letting it happen. And what I have found is that my wife's probably better at business than even I am. She's probably a better entrepreneur than I am. I just don't give up. I'm too dumb to stop. I guess uh, I, I I succeed in business through just brute force of of swinging for the fences and connecting every now and then. She's like methodical and meticulous, and and our weaknesses and strengths so complement each other. And so that was a long answer or explanation to say you know how did we figure out how to be entrepreneurs slash couples and how are we so supportive? It's been an Endless work in progress of us kind of falling into place together to where now she she has nothing to do with my real estate business or, or any of that. She just has no interest in it. But for Thrive and, and the Hatter Group, which is our big mothership that runs everything, her DNA and her thumbprint now is within the entire company. And um, so so that's how she got to where she is. As far as how we are husband, wife, and slash business partners, is we have to do date nights, dude. And we literally get frustrated with each other that we'll go on a date night, and then one of us will just be talking about Thrive or business the entire time. And the other one has to say, put your phone away, don't talk about that again, tell me, you know how's your life right now? What are you excited about? And it is a constant work in progress. Dude, it's like having abs. There isn't anyone I've ever met that has a six pack <laughs> accidentally. Like you could be generally fit just because of great genetics, but nobody has a six pack accidentally. It's constant, constant choosing the right things to eat and constant exercise. And having a healthy marriage slash business partnership is like having a six pack. It is constantly choosing the conversations that we have, when and where we're having them. We made a rule, no business in our bedroom. That's like our safe haven. So I'm, I'm at home right now. I'm at my home office and then I have an actual real office too. Uh, if I'm doing business here, the bedroom's off limits. So if I had to check emails and I walk into our bedroom with a laptop, instantly got to do you you turn and leave. And so like we have areas where work is prohibited, like a no work zone, almost like a no smoking area. right? Um, and then times where it's like, hey, babe, we've got a busy day today, but we're going out to dinner. Our reservation's at 6.30. And the second we get in our car to leave for that dinner, business is done. And it's just what normal husband wives talk about. School is about to start. My, my youngest child, or my oldest child, my first child's about to go into kindergarten. So it's going to be talking about how excited we are to see our little girl growing up and real conversation. So that's the best analogy I can come up with is the work it takes to have a six pack. Very similarly is the work it takes to have a healthy marriage and business partnership with someone you're married to constant decisions and constant effort.
1: I love it. I love it. You know, that, that is uh, exactly how my wife and I operate. And, um, you know, she works with us at our, our firm. My, my my day job is uh, I'm a financial advisor and she's our director of operations and our, our, Spousal relationships sound uh, very much alike, and I love the analogy of the uh, of the, the six pack analogy. That's that's so true, and also hilarious because most things that are hilarious are true. Yeah. you know we we're running out uh, of of time here, and I, I want to, but I want to get a few more questions in, and and um, we we got the most important thing, which is where people can can connect with you and, and buy uh, and, and attend Thrive. Uh, but if you could pick any skill set that you currently possess and turn it into a superpower, what would it be? Persuasion. Ooh, interesting. Interesting. So you already have that skill set. So how are you developing it into a superpower?
0: Even beyond sales, it's persuasion. Uh, I am also a professional speaker. Oh, I forgot to say that earlier. That's another revenue source of, of what I started doing when I came home from Mexico. Is It's, it's pretty crazy that people pay me to talk now, right? Um, but so... Uh, As a professional speaker, I want to be good Uh, and I've spent a lot of hours on stage and whether I'm selling from the stage or just trying to make a point, it's all about persuasion. I persuade someone to buy or I persuade someone to at least acknowledge my perspective on the topic I'm teaching. And so I think the persuasion, the power of being persuasive, a lot of people say sales is the greatest skill set to have in business you can't sell unless you've persuaded them to buy. I think it's persuasion. And Mm -hmm. so the thing that I've worked the hardest on that has served me well, I mean, God, I had to persuade my wife to marry me, (laughs) right? Like talk about persuasion. She had dumped me 10 months earlier. Not only did I persuade her to take me back, she said, yes. So I think that persuasion is the most important skill set for me in my personal life and business life. It's probably the thing I've worked the hardest on. Some quick references, how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie. Um, It's called Pre-Suasion by Ken, I think it's. Ken or Kevin? I Dang it. Hang on. No, I'm in my
1: uh, Chial, Chial,
0: uh, um, what's his name? Caldini? It's called Persuasion. It's black and yellow, the book, but so yeah, yeah. Pre-Suasion, um, and then, uh, oh man, the little black book of persuasion skills by an Indian man, Rentu, Rint, I forget his name as well, but that's the titles. Uh, pre- like PRE-suasion and then the little black book of Persu- persuasion skills and then also how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie go pick those books up go read them and then just practice 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 and uh, that's what I've worked hard on I think I'm pretty darn good at it and if I ever had a superpower I'd want to be superpower persuasive and then I would persuade people to to live powerful lives right i mean that's the whole point of your podcast i'd persuade mm-hmm. people to Consider starting businesses that impact the world, and that at your quarterly meetings, you're not just looking at bottom line revenue and and growth, you're looking at impact and say, okay, one of the metrics we measure at our company is how much world we're impacting. It's not just a bottom line, how much dollars we're making, but a key metric of what makes this company actually matter. Is how many souls or lives were impacting on this earth? I would persuade people to do that, you know? I'd persuade people to to love deeply in their friendships and relationships because it's all that really matters at the end of the day. Why do we have businesses that are are impacting the world? Because through our monetary gains, we can love people. Through charitable donations or impact, so it's like at the end of the day, I would persuade people to love deeply, and all this bull crap going on. Of, I mean, just just while I was in Vegas, I saw it on the news of what happened with that rioting and or not rioting, um, protesting and the counter-protesting. The lives are lost, dude. If people just would. If I could persuade people to just love each other and stop being a bunch of a holes, looking at differences but looking at similarities instead, I would. Dude, I could change the world if I could persuade people to think differently.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know the. Uh, I heard it said that everybody wants to be loved. The problem with why there isn't enough love going on in the world is because everyone wants to be loved first, as opposed to giving love first. Totally you know and it's it's robert caldini he persuasion he wrote the book uh, robert uh, but um so what are three lies that you believe entrepreneurs or or people in general tell themselves that prevent them from realizing their full potential
0: i'm not smart enough i don't have enough money i don't have enough time mm. i have those are the three i've had to go over you know i don't have a degree i was a firefighter as we said and so although i have done a lot of college classes I think I've got like 42 credits, and you have to have 60 to get a degree. But as soon as I got in my fire academy, I stopped. So, so I've always and I've struggled with ADD, and I never had great grades. Not because I'm not intelligent enough, but because I just couldn't pay attention long enough or care enough about French poetry to get a good, you know, grade <laughs> on that test. So I, I had this self image that I'm below average as far as intelligence is considered, because I would get Cs and other people get As and Bs. And so, bottom line is. One lie is that you're not smart enough. Another lie is that you don't have enough money. I have money now, but when I was 21 and started business, I was in a wheelchair recovering from those accidents I shared with you. So I started with nothing, just like everyone else starts with nothing. Um, And then time, man. Everyone says they don't have enough time, but uh, that's not it's never about time. It's always about priorities. So I think those are the three lies that, that people need to get out of their own way.
1: Powerful, powerful. And then this last question is from the title of a book by a guy named Clay Christensen, which is, how will you measure your life?
0: I'm going to measure my life uh, by how many people show up to my funeral and fight over the microphone to not talk about my houses or cars, but the meaningful impact I made in their lives with the time and resources I had available.
1: Dude, Cole, this was amazing. This was a a really impactful conversation. I thank you for your vulnerability and strength and for sharing your story and for taking the steps, uh, the courageous steps to... Acknowledge the, the weeds so that you can appreciate the flowers and thus create, thrive. And uh, I hope to be there in September, my friend. For sure, man.
0: Hope to have you there. And thanks for having me on the show.
1: Absolutely. Cole, my brother, thank you for joining us on the Impact Entrepreneur Show. You are a living testament to how we can use adversity to our opportunity. And then if we combine a small, intentional step in action with a powerful community, Not only will we be able to realize what we are capable of, but we will also thrive. If you missed any of the key points of my conversation with Cole, we've got you covered at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash seventy four. And while you're there, be sure to check out the Lotton Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them. And last and certainly not least, Don't forget about the incredible gifts I have for you. Head over to the impactentrepreneur.net forward slash scorecard and download those resources today. Now, until next time, go make an impact.